0: Welcome to the Iowa Innovation Podcast, powered by Nuboco.
1: This is the show where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony Betters.
0: And I am Jessica Abdoni. and today's guest is Emily Stokel, creator of the Pre-Loved Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about all things fashion, the 90-Day Challenge, and how fast fashion is impacting climate change.
1: We're also going to touch on something very interesting. We're going to talk about the Fabric Act and how to shop sustainably.
0: Anthony is going to try not to call me out too much about my shopping addiction and Emily is also going to be touching on the innovative ways she shares stories of the fashion industry.
1: So with that, let's Innovate Iowa.
0: I am so happy to have you on because I've been a big fan of yours. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, Emily has the best Instagram feed I have ever seen, and (laughs) she shows off her mug and what she's reading that day, and uh, her outfits are amazing, and I remember that I kind of got in touch with you or, like, knew about you through, like, obviously one of the worst days in Iowa history, which was the... Uh, I bet you're like, ooh, was it the flood? (laughs) 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 What are we choosing between? Yeah, (laughs) there's so many, but um, the Drake Show, I never, don't think I ever say it right. Mm -hmm. In 2020, Mm -hmm. you wrote. Um, your story about being an Iowan and living through three disasters. And it was published in Huffington Post. So please tell wow. me about that. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, I yeah. mean, yeah. <laughs>
2: that, that little <laughs>
0: like publication. That oh, thing. that one. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, so obviously all of us lived through that. And it was such a dramatic incident that we all went through. And I just remember like in the moment, it felt like the national media wasn't really talking about the derecho or talking about what was happening. And so, um, I sat down and wrote this story about what it was like to have lived through, you know, of course the 2008 flood. Um, and then I live here in Czech village. And so in 2016, when the city almost flooded again, you know, and if you, we're living here at the time. You remember we sandbagged. I was actually, you know, we had to be evacuated because we live inside Mm -hmm. the flood zone. And so the National Guard, you know, was like camped out in my front yard during that in 2016. And then like not four years later in 2020 is the derecho. And so I was just like writing about what that felt like to live through that so many times and just what a visceral experience that is to see the climate emergency happening Mm -hmm. all around us. And it was like, so bizarre because at the time a friend um, had offered, I had written the piece and a friend had offered to read it for me and help me work through it and then maybe send it around to a few editors. And he actually lives in California and I sent him the piece and then he wasn't able to actually help me read it because he had to be evacuated from him, his home that day because of the wildflowers, wildfires in California. Oh my gosh. And so it's just like one of those things where it's just like, this is happening all around us it's yeah. you know it's so real and we're living through it and so i think i just felt like all i can really do like my what i bring to this fight is storytelling so i was just like i'm just gonna send the piece to a few editors anyway and was so glad that my editors have post picked it up and shared the story because i felt like it was important for people to hear and it made the disaster, those weather
0: events feel real and human was what I was hoping right. for. So did your advocacy, I guess, for climate change um, started before that, though, from the the article that was just accumulation of your stories and how you affected with climate change. So can you tell us a little bit about your um, advocacy and when it started and what led you to it, too? Totally. So, um, it's hard to say like when all of this started for me, um,
2: way, you know, like going like way, way, way back. So, um, my grandma who, uh, who like was like a third parent to me, was really close to me in my upbringing. Um, she was a union organizer and so she worked at a plastics factory, with a single mom, raising six kids, working nights at a factory. And I got grew up from her stories, like understanding how important a union job is and how, you know, strikes and worker protections, like how all of that Mm -hmm. comes about. And, you know, she would talk to me about those things all the time. And so that was just something that was like always a part of me and a part of my story. And then, um, I started studying, like I, I went to school for English and history and something that I was really interested in was like the history of like, um, Union work and like worker history, and when you start to study that, it leads you down the path of like the fashion industry. Actually, mm-hmm. really, wow. really quickly, um, a lot of like the biggest strikes that have ever happened in the United States have been within the fashion industry, mm-hmm. um, and some of them have brought about some of the, like the labor protections that we know and love today. And um, so studying that, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I had never pieced that all together. And that's what kind of led me into the work that I do in sustainable fashion advocacy was mm-hmm. like realizing all of the stuff about labor and climate within the fashion industry. Um, and it's it's evolved from there, you know, just like getting involved in movements, um, whether that be movements here locally or advocacy campaigns. Like I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the campaigns that I've worked on, but um, on a national level and, um, just continuing to be really involved from that early passion for protections for people and planet. Amazing.
0: So for people who don't know, um, what is the connection between fashion and fast fashion to the climate emergency that we are experiencing today? Yeah.
2: So I think that the easiest way to illustrate this for people is the, the fact that, you know, a T-shirt that we buy today at the store for like ten or fifteen dollars, right? Like if you think about how much work actually goes into producing a shirt like that, like I doubt so many people these days don't know how to sew. But if you could picture yourself sitting down to make a t-shirt mm-hmm. and the materials you would need to buy and the time that would need to go into it and the labor and just all that would need to go into making it, like there's there's no way that you could cross something like that and then have that be the end price for that piece. Um, But how that has come about is like the rise of fast fashion. So fashion businesses have started producing just like huge, huge amounts of clothing um, that are produced in countries overseas and the global South um, pay very little in terms of wages for the garments that they produce and produce them on really fast timelines. And the idea is that they produce them quickly and cheaply and then the consumer is supposed to buy the clothes and they're thought of as being disposable. So you mm-hmm. buy it, wear it for a little while, and then you toss it and you get something new and you continue that pattern of shopping. And so what has that has really brought about is like both an environmental and human rights disaster, really. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the overproduction and also just uh, the labor issues that are rampant within the fashion industry as well.
1: Yes. So with fast fashion, uh, fast fashion, I didn't hear that word until maybe like three or so months ago. I was talking to a mom and she was saying, yes, I don't put my kids in fast fashion clothing. Of course, we go to the thrift store and we get the clothes from there. And then I think about myself and with my kiddo, I'm like, Yes, she grows out of her clothes so fast. We have piles of clothes that we take to goodwill or we try to, of course, give to um, other parents that might have kids that might be in that same size. Um, so, yes, it is like knowing that history uh, just kind of makes me think now differently about how mm-hmm. I will potentially uh, shop for my, for my kids.
2: Yeah, and it's so interesting to think about because fast fashion has really cropped up like mm-hmm. in yeah. our lifetime really Mm -hmm. if you go back to our parents generation certainly our grandparents generation like people used to buy way fewer clothes and wear them for so much longer even kids you know Mm -hmm. like anybody's dad or whatever has talked about like a oh, go going to buy my one pair of jeans for school <laughs> yeah. or whatever yeah. you know yeah. and then at the new school year I buy my next one pair of jeans but this idea that like those clothes were meant to last and then when the one kid grew out of them they were supposed to still be in good enough condition that you could pass them the down next. to the next yes. kid and like that is just not the reality of how clothing is made today and so something that I talk about a lot on my platform especially to parents because it's like what are you supposed to do you know like it's not our individual fault that the clothes are made so poorly like this is a whole systems issue and the reason that the system has been created this way is to like keep us shopping and keep us spending and so yeah if you're hearing this message you're like how in the world am I supposed to keep my (laughs) ever-growing kids in jeans that you know fall apart after one school year it's like this is not your fault Uh, this is like why we are fighting to change the fashion industry
1: yeah and how I think about a lot of stuff especially including the clothing I just think about just big business in sales and marketing Um, Of course, people look at America and they say just America itself is a big business, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And just kind of how you talk about this over time, I just remember specifically just in my mind of looking back and looking at even kids that used to walk out of the house in suits and ties and their moms used to walk out just just on a random day, just go to the grocery store, Mm -hmm. right? And then I remember I was talking to um, a guy that was helping us fix the house and he actually had wore a suit jacket, uh-huh. and he had told us the reason why. He said that they were uh, made to be durable, uh, durable, and that they had a lot of different pockets to be able to put different tools and things of that nature in. And I was like, I had no idea, bro, that that was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so whenever you think about history and just going back and just looking within the history books and just looking at kind of just what they wore over time, it's very interesting. Um, and also just understanding where these clothes are made mm-hmm. even just your shoes um mm-hmm. is, is pretty outstanding well, i would say
0: I, I i'm now just thinking of all the parents going can you imagine trying to put your child in a suit <laughs> like i know some Seriously, parents struggle yeah. to get their kids dressed like, can you imagine putting a three-piece p- suit on their child in it the was morning? A thing. kids would be late to school every single day be like i'm <laughs> sorry I'm, i had to tie a tie this morning yeah <laughs> but um what are some solutions that you have for parents or families um as well as just young people who obviously are like targeted with fast fashion i know i am i have definitely taken a hard look at some of the places that i buy clothes of course i am definitely still have a ways to go i know anthony anthony is looking over at me with eyes because he knows i'm a shopper but what are some solutions that you have for people like me and young families looking to make the right choice Yeah. So the first thing I always tell people, and this is
2: a campaign that we run every summer at Remake, we call it the 90 Days of No New Clothes Challenge. Mm -hmm. And so basically the idea, and this goes back to if you've ever been a part of like um, a workout program or like diet program or whatever, there's this idea that it takes 90 days to build strong habits that last. And so the idea is that if you can go 90 days without buying any new produced clothing. So like if you need something, try to find it secondhand. Mm -hmm. But Try to not buy anything that has been produced new for 90 days. And we usually have about... 1500 people go through this challenge every year and what i hear from people over and over and over again is that it was like a reset moment for them about Mm -hmm. how they think about fashion because it's one of those things where your impulse is to buy and you have to be able to figure out how to not immediately act on that right so like (laughs) oh my god take that first pause because you're like i'm taking the challenge and 1500 other people are you know my friends are taking it too so it's that you know, pure motivation. And so you pause first and then hopefully over time, like as you've built up those habits, begins to reset your relationship to how you think about fashion and do I need to buy so quickly? Like, do I need to act so quickly? Is there time for me, you know, if I really need a new shirt for work, is there time for me to go out and try to find that on the secondhand market first? Mm -hmm. And usually people realize that for the most part, even if they don't forever, you know, continue to go on 100 percent, not buying anything new. What they learn from doing this challenge is that. More often than not, you either have what you already need. You mm-hmm. can find what you already need somewhere in community. You can find it secondhand. That there are other options out there rather than buying new. So that's my first step: is um, try the challenge, and then I think you'll fall in love with secondhand shopping because you'll find it saves you money and it's just like fun yeah. and it's all a those scavenger other hunt, reasons. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's weird now because I have three kids in the house, and yeah. so before that. I was just a shopper, right? <laughs> but now I'm super conscious of, of course, my money mm-hmm. uh, and where it's going, and the majority of the time is going towards my kids. And so I could say that I could be able to, to do the 90-day challenge, yeah. but the question I have, not for you, but is for Jessica. When was the last time you've been to Target and bought clothes?
0: Okay, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> This is something I was thinking. I don't know if my dad contacts Anthony directly and says, you need to just <laughs> hone on Jessica because there's packages every day. But I love that reset 90 days. I definitely want to try it because I think also we had talked with Malia in our first episode about that instant gratification. And that definitely ties into the fast fashion and then obviously leads to climate Uh, like workers' rights and then climate change is crazy. But you just said about your advocacy for Remake. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Totally. So Remake is a wonderful fashion advocacy organization. And basically, we're fighting for change at the intersection of worker rights and climate issues. Mm -hmm. And so um, something that we say all the time at Remake is if we could get the fashion industry to – Uh, pay everyone who who is producing our clothes to pay garment workers a Mm -hmm. living wage it would force the fashion industry to not only address the human rights issues that are happening of course because people would be being paid a living wage but it would also really address the climate issues too because the only way that the fashion industry has been able to overproduce and produce so cheaply and so fast is by paying those mm-hmm. workers so low. Bottom dollar wages. Yeah. And so by paying workers more, the fashion industry would be forced to slow down again, mm-hmm. which is more similarly to the way the fashion industry used to work. Um, and the industry would be forced to slow down, to produce less, produce more high quality pieces That's that right. are more laid to, made to last. So it would bring about like a complete slowing down of the industry, which is honestly what we need for both people and planet.
1: How so so how, are, how are you pushing that, though, to be able to change that, basically? Ooh.
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of different campaigns, um, you know, that are going on within the fashion industry. But one that Remake is working on that is really exciting is there's actually a piece of federal policy that's been proposed and it's uh, in Congress um, at the moment. And it's called the Fabric Act. It's an acronym, but it's F-A-B-R-I-C, Act, Fabric Act. And basically what this would do would be um, it would institute at um, higher wages for all garment workers working in America. There are still over 100,000 garment workers producing in the United States. I know a lot of people don't think that clothing is really made in the U.S. anymore, and it's certainly not made in the U.S. at the numbers that it used to be, Um, but there are 100,000 garment workers working here in the United States, and where the Fabric Act, the idea for the Fabric Act actually originated, was in the state of California, and this was back in 2020, I wanna say. Um, some garment worker organizers in California had proposed a bill in the state of California called the Garment Worker Protection Act um, because garment workers in California, here in the US, were being paid between two to $5 an hour what? in a state where the minimum legal minimum wage is $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And so what was happening there was that, um, Garment workers are often paid through a system called piece rate pay. So they get paid like by the pair of jeans that they sew or by the T-shirt that they sew. It's kind of like the way that, you know, the gig economy or something like that will like pay people by job rather than paying like a hourly minimum wage. Wow. And so what the Garment Worker Protection Act set out to do was to eliminate piece rate pay in California. And that bill was passed into law. It became law. Um, signed in 2022 and then became uh, the law in the state of California. And that has inspired the Fabric Act to make that a federal law for the entire
0: United States. That's encouraging. Yeah,
2: yeah, it is. It would be really like a, a huge change for the U.S. industry. And then the bill also has in it, in addition to eliminating piece rate pay, it has a lot of initiatives in it that would also incentivize like creating good green jobs here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, again, like we used to produce clothing in America. We don't very much anymore. But how could we make the U.S. a hub for sustainable apparel production again?
0: Amazing. Right. So are you seeing any kind of like changes from your advocacy with Remake but also with your podcast here in Iowa? Have you been seeing either encouraging changes or changes that definitely need to be made or highlighted in the state of Iowa? Well, you know,
2: everybody, you know, because the Fabric Act is a piece of federal policy, anybody who is listening um, can go to fabricact.org and sign a petition and let their congressperson know that Mm -hmm. they'd be interested in seeing something like this passed. Um, It it will affect, you know, people who are producing everywhere. And I also think, too, it's really important, even though we don't have a ton of garment manufacturing here in Iowa, this is a potentially very precedent-setting piece of legislation for other industries again like thinking about the gig working economy or hospitality or other industries where there are wage theft issues uh, rampant even here Mm -hmm. in the united states a piece of policy like this you know passing shows that you know we're we're primed to address some of those issues Mm -hmm. so i think that's really exciting to see
0: um have you seen positive change in iowa like you said i was not as strong with like working in the clothing industry but of course. Have you seen any positive change since like working on your podcast with Iowa with Iowans or I think just a sense of awareness Mm -hmm. for sure. Like
2: when I like I said, when I first started getting interested in these issues, you know, several years ago now, it was kind of a niche interest and it wasn't really being talked about. And it wasn't something where I was like, oh, there's going to be a job for me working in this space, you know, and it's just the industry has evolved so much and more people are aware of these issues. And now when I talk about what I do, I think people, for the most part, they're like, oh, I've heard of fast fashion or I know about those issues or I know about, you know how some clothes aren't ethically made, or I've mm-hmm. heard about overproduction, and so just that that awareness has reached people, I think, is really huge. Absolutely. So
1: whenever, I, well, personally for me, I'd say uh, whenever I think about, of course, making that conscious decision on not diving into fast fashion and maybe going to um, uh, maybe think about buying vintage clothing or buying vintage um, stuff for my home and the sense of furniture. This is fun for me. I like to think about the flea market, yeah. right? And so I remember just growing up, uh, big plug here, back in Waco, Texas, <laughs> every Saturday morning, me and my family we would go to the flea market, right? you
0: dress up in suits and go to the flea market? <laughs> I mean, Put on your no, tongue. we
1: wouldn't do that. But <laughs> it was just a good time to where we would have good food. Mm-hmm. We would listen to good music out there. Um, but <laughs> and a lot of stuff out there, of course, might be so i'll talk about baseball here so like for oakley's glasses they would have the oakley's glasses yeah. out there but they weren't from oakley right <laughs> uh so we would call those folkleys uh so but <laughs> things but it was okay in the sense of me wearing it because they looked exactly like yeah. the oakley's um and they were in the sense of good material and they were of good price and so just thinking about families going out to the flea markets because we don't have a flea market here in cedar rapids or do we
2: yeah, there's not really one here in Cedar Rapids. There are several in the area. Um, there's good estate sales in Cedar Rapids. Okay. Um, great thrift stores, incredible thrift stores. Oh, yeah,
0: plug our favorite one. Yeah, well,
2: and my favorite vintage <laughs> store right down here in Czech Village um, called Found and Formed. Um, sometimes if you pop in there on the weekend, you'll even see me behind the desk there. My very dear friends own that store. Nice. Um, there's like so many options here in Cedar Rapids, but it, there, it's true. There is like a nice romance about wandering around a flea
0: market like yeah. it's just like a fun way to spend the weekend
1: yes have you ever been to a flea market jessica
0: i mean i feel like i have i've been to estate sales those yeah. are those are nice i like those but i feel bad because i'm like going through someone's who may have passed away <laughs> or moving on to a smaller home or maybe like they can't take care of themselves but then i'm like ooh, i love these pearls or yeah. something but um i love secondhand and shopping but one of the problems that i run into especially in iowa because there are some good options but, um, particularly for, for sizing, mm. I find that a lot of vintage clothes don't fit the sizes of women or men now. So what do you recommend for people who may not fit those like, tri- like exclusive, exclusive sizing, yeah. like plus size? Yeah. Great that's question. why I asked it, Anthony. Thank you. That's why we're on a <laughs> podcast together. <laughs> Cause I asked No questions. more compliments for Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Ooh. Um, I think maybe she knows what she's talking about. <laughs>
2: So one of my like go to tips, especially if you're newer to secondhand and you're struggling, you know, maybe you've gone to a a Goodwill or, um, you know, we have a very large Salvation Army here in Cedar Rapids. Maybe you've gone to one of those places and you find it frustrating digging and you're not finding stuff that's in your size um something that i would recommend is check an online secondhand site so maybe ThreadUp or depop or poshmark um any of those and i would just punch in whatever brand it is that you're used to buying so like if you always buy levi's jeans or you you know there's like a target label or something that you like Mm -hmm. just type in like that exact thing that you're looking for put in your sizing And like more often than not, I guarantee you, you will find it there because there's just like so people and we've all been there, you know, you try something, you miss the return window and it's time Mm -hmm. to pass it on or whatever you, you know, you decide it doesn't fit after a couple of wears, whatever the reason. And all that stuff ends up on those secondhand sites and it's there, you know, for a good deal. And usually... With online secondhand shopping, like, that you can just find pretty much exactly mm-hmm. what you're looking for
0: these days. If you need evidence of fast fashion, I would definitely look on Poshmark and just look up Target. Mm. And, like, <laughs> I see dresses. I'm like, this yeah. is still in the store. Yeah. You're reselling this? Really? Like, that's yeah. insane. Um, So would you – there are some labels. And I also want to – Hicks. I'm sure you know far more information about breaking this – um, either debunking this myth or – you know uh have more information behind it but when you see larger labels that are definitely abusing uh like workers with like you know not paying them well and definitely abusing the system with like h&m zara i've definitely bought clothes from them and it's like hard not to and i don't anymore because i do not support it but um but they come out with labels like the conscious label yes or like the green and you're like Mm. Is this really, is this just like a great marketing scheme? So I was hoping that is. you could sit on, yeah. like, talk about that so people don't fall for those kind of big schemes that these big corporations put out good question jessica appreciate (laughs) that thank you (laughs) yeah
2: so the term for this in the industry is greenwashing it's basically when you're brainwashing your customer into thinking that your product is more sustainable than it truthfully is and it's interesting that you brought up h&m because um h&m is being sued actually for their greenwashing claims and this is one of like the first um cases like this to be brought forward essentially that you know that they're perpetrating false messaging with mm-hmm. their conscious collections and things like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. You know mm-hmm. how that will affect the industry. Um, but it is—it's the idea that these brands—and again, that's like why I always try to remind people that this is not your fault. Like big companies spend so much money trying to mislead consumers into making the less ethical decision. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you know, we've we've all been there. We've all shopped fast fashion and um, y- you will probably be tricked again. You know, like mm-hmm. there is no perfect way to, to avoid fast fashion in this world. And so I guess I, I just would approach anything from a big fashion brand. Um, you know, it, it's wild to think about, but around 60 brands make up like 90% of the profits of the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these fashion yeah. brands are just absolutely massive or massive conglomerates. They're part mm-hmm. of like big groups. Just kind of have a sense of skepticism about absolutely. anything. You
1: know, the, like the first thing that comes to mind is Tom's.
0: Yeah. Sure. I,
1: I don't, I don't know. Now, now I'm skeptical. <laughs> Wait, the
0: Tom's like you buy a shoe and yes. they give a shoe. Yeah. Yeah, they
1: give it to like a third world country or something like that, oh, right? Oh,
0: I think yeah. I mean, and so I think like tugging yeah.
1: at the heartstrings of uh-huh. people to actually buy the product and yeah. saying, "Hey, fifty percent of this or hundred percent of this is going towards X, Y, and Z. That's going to save the world. Buy from us." Yeah. Now you have me thinking that I'm greenwashed.
2: Well, you know, it's an interesting one because there's a lot of these instances like that even happens. Okay, so the um. The, the world has too much clothing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like that plain and simple. And so a lot of these initiatives where it's like buy something and, you know, buy a pair of shoes, buy a coat, buy whatever, and we will give to a person in need. This is great, but are there other meaningful ways that we can invest in those communities? Because unfortunately, there are already too much. There's too much clothing in right. existence. Mm-hmm. And so more often than not, like if you actually are talking to people who, you know, are trying to work with communities, they're like, we don't really need more shoes necessarily. Mm -hmm. You know, there's other things that they need more investment in. And so um, while those initiatives are great, It is worth still peeling back the layers and thinking about what impact am I trying to make? And is this
0: effectively making that? It's pretty ironic because a lot of those countries that they donate to or say you're going to help save is affected by climate change. And a lot of those like, you know, with droughts and wildfires or wildflowers, as you've coined (laughs) Yeah. and it, so it's just I'm sure it's just irony that they're like, oh, yeah, if you buy this fast fashion, you're going to help this country. And you're like, well, we'd help this country if we helped with climate change mm-hmm. and, you know, advocated for uh, stop like fast fashion and, you know, making sure that these countries are not going to have another like flood, drought, starvation. It's kind of yeah. cool in a way.
2: It's a cycle because, too, you know, we've talked about just how much clothing is overproduced but the reality of it is is that so much clothing is overproduced that here in the US like we can't even resell all of the clothing that's made here here on US soil. Mm-hmm. Like thrift stores in the United States only are able to process through about like 20% of the clothing that comes through their doors. Yeah. Just because there's so much of it mm. and it's getting like poorer and poorer quality. And so what happens a lot of times with the, you know, the clothing that ends up in the secondhand stream or in the waste stream, whatever you want to call it, is um, that it will get exported to countries in the global south. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, the reality is, is that if the clothing is of really poor quality and there's not a person there needing it, mm-hmm. it will end up in those countries' landfills. That's ultimately. what I was gonna ask.
1: Yeah, like where does all those clothes go?
2: Yeah, yeah, only after the clothing is um, exported to a place, you know, like there. there's a great organization called the ore Foundation that's done a lot of research in Accra, Ghana, and the largest secondhand market in the world is there. And if you look it up, you'll see lots of news stories with just absolutely mind-boggling images about the amount of clothing that ends up there. Mm. And it's clothing that is exported from the global north ends up in the global south. And there is an incredible community of resellers there who attempt to resell that clothing locally because over the years, so much more is coming in and it's of less and less quality. Mm. Still about like 40% of what ends up there ends up going to landfill um, in those countries. And so it really just does go back to like we talked about at the beginning, just being an overproduction issue and we have to slow down. It doesn't really, you can't just like replace... You can't keep producing at the rate you're producing, and just be like, "Oh, we're just going to do it in an ethical way." You Mm -hmm. know, like
0: there's no way to actually do that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and so I mean, not to get too personal, but would you say right now? I
0: swear, if you bring up Cynthia's name, you just you
1: just did, so you cannot blame me. Okay, I was gonna bring up Cynthia. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I was gonna ask, um, like, is your full fit? Vintage right now?
0: Yes. Um, Emily is got amazing style. If you go on her Instagram and she is definitely, should, I, should we describe what you wearing? First off, Jessica,
1: I wasn't asking you. I was asking Emily. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Yeah.
0: So this t-shirt is Galesburg, from Galesburg, Illinois. Galesburg,
2: Illinois from like the 1980s. Nice. This is a vintage Yale sweatshirt that I got from a vintage shop in Michigan. Mm. And then my pants, these are um, from a store that I love um, in New York. They're called The Consistency Project. And what they do is they specialize in vintage pants so just jeans carpenter pants stuff like that but basically because you were asking about like clothing and fit You go in, they measure you, and then they just go and pull everything that they have that's in your size and they bring it to you to try on. Mm -hmm. And then you try it on, and then if you like something but you need it hemmed, I'm really short, I usually need stuff hemmed, Mm. they'll do it there in-house. And so like it's like my favorite place to buy pants. Like (sighs) when I go to New York, I like love to do a fitting with the Consistency Project. You and were so- in New York recently, though, we're- yeah, yeah, yeah. I get to go a couple times a year for work now, which is so, so fun, and I love it so much. And I have a bunch of vintage shops there that I
0: would <laughs> always recommend. But yeah, that's one of my favorite ones um, to check out. Have you... Um- have some of these ideas like for the future of like with the pre-love podcast do you have any ideas that you're like you kind of like see in new york you're like this could work in iowa bring Ooh. it over because i swear if they had that kind of shop in iowa like
1: that's different i that would cool? say yes. i would say
0: goodbye to target well no i don't take that back i like target for shoe for not shoes uh food but i would say goodbye uh, goodbye to target forever for clothes and they had stuff sure. like that isn't that Whatever. neat <laughs> another concept
2: that i think is really cool so um This is a concept that comes from Finland of all places but I had a gal on my show um, who basically she moved from Finland to LA and she started a store there but it's called a -a rent-a-rack store and it's a really common thing um, in Finland so basically like someone owns the store and then if you're cleaning out your closet at the end of the season you can basically like rent a spot in that person's store for a short period of time be it like two weeks or a month or three months or whatever the terms are and then you can just sell through you know, have your stuff there and sell through it. And then mm. you get a check at the end of it. And so, like, it's like a garage sale, but you don't have to actually be, like, sitting there selling the things. It's right. for sale in that store. Um, and it's, it's like, a really cool model, I think. Um, and her store is called Drescue in L.A. And um, I think that would be something really cool.
0: That would be epic because I always see people in Cedar Rapids and I love some of their clothes. And I'm like, where'd you get that?
2: Where'd yeah. you get that?
0: Yeah. It would be so nice. I me, and my friends, we actually have a Facebook page called The Friends of Friends. Oh my gosh. It's like it, the Friends of Friends clothes and what we do is on Facebook, you know, we'll sell things. Oh I love that. Um, some people price, I'm gonna call them out their clothes way too high. <laughs> Remember it's secondhand Your people. Clothes way too high. It's so high. Um like some <laughs> I'm like twenty bucks for pants. No, let's 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 keep it under ten dollars, yeah. guys. But I think that's awesome because like whenever I have friends, um, we kinda borrow clothes from each yeah. other because you know Vintage or second hand. I remember I always had a kind of growing up, I think I think everyone did, where second hand was something you did and it wasn't cool. You know what I mean? It was like your parents' way of surviving, you know what I mean? So like my parents, um, I remember going secondhand or not all the time, but sometimes. And I remember kind of having a level of shame about it and now it's cool. But yes. I was yeah wondering like how do you still have your individual style while like shopping secondhand see for me like
2: i first got interested in shopping secondhand because as a teenager i was like i don't want to be wearing what everyone else wears i want to be different like i was like a quirky arty kid you know Mm -hmm. like wanted to be different and so you could find stuff secondhand that wasn't from the mall or whatever but, um, no, I, I totally agree. Like it's something that used to be pretty stigmatized. And now with teenagers, it's like a mark of pride to be it shopping is. secondhand.
1: It and is. Is. I it's love really
0: that generation. Cool. Yeah. 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 So I
1: have, a, I have a teenager in the house. Uh-huh. Um, and just seeing, of course, the teenagers come out of high school or being out of eighth grade, just them walk around. Like you can somewhat tell that the majority of the clothes that they're wearing yeah. is secondhand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the same notion growing up. I'm like. People who wear secondhand clothes, they're not cool. <laughs> yeah. But growing up, my mom, she was the same way as you and the, th- the thought process of being different, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. so whenever you go to these different stores and you're just looking through, like you see like this old school Yale jacket or stuff like that, right? That brings to me, is like nobody has this. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. Now I don't have to walk out of the house or go out tonight thinking that somebody's going to have the exact same Target shirt on as me. Oh. I would that that was not shameful at you Jessica. Uh but no but, but <laughs> that has We just spent all
0: day with each other and so it's like children we're like we're so <laughs> yes. tired of each other. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs>
0: Sorry Emily, we're <laughs> professionally prominent. No,
1: but seriously though, but that has happened to me majority of time and I yeah. I do think about now consciously like going out and just Looking to see what I can find.
0: Yeah, it's a fun treasure hunt. What is your best vintage find? One that you're like, <gasps> like the angels came down. And you're like, no one, no one get <laughs> grab oh it. Oh my gosh! Like you squealed when you saw it. Um,
2: I have a fantastic penny lane coat. Like you know, like the almost famous that movie where it's yes. like the 70s coat with the trim, like the shag <gasps> trim on it, and Seriously? like suede coat. Um, I have that. That's really fab. Um. I have so many like great just like leather jackets Mm -hmm. that you know would be like hundreds of dollars if I bought them new and I'll get them at Goodwill for like $10, you know? And just pieces that I know I'm gonna have forever. Um, And then I've got pieces that are really sentimental, you know, like you mentioned like um, swapping with friends or whatever, Mm -hmm. I've got pieces you know, through found informed that maybe multiple friends of mine have had. And then they've, you know, come to me. And I always think that's really fun. And then whenever I travel, I love to pick up stuff when I travel and like support the small vintage sellers in that community. Like that's my, my version of a souvenir is taking back something fun from a vintage shop that's amazing yeah
1: and then when i think of vintage and i know it's not all the time when i think of vintage i think of low price clothing or low price like artwork and stuff like that but would you say all the vintage clothing are pretty cheap and less expensive
2: yeah, it's a, so that's interesting. So like people ask me all the time, like what makes something vintage? And uh, technically, it's like if it's older than twenty or thirty years old, which is like weird for me being in my thirties, because like I'm vintage now.
1: Oh, gross! <laughs> Embrace it. I love it.
2: And then you know, kids will come into Found formed and like they're after like stuff from the two thousands that like I wore when I was oh, a that's teenager. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's that like, really hurts. There's so something old. about that. And then, but it's funny because like I love stuff from the 70s and it's like I will go into vintage shops all the time and I'm sure that the women working in those shops think the same thing about me you know <laughs> so I don't know stuff is so stuff is always so cyclical so yeah I mean definition of vintage is like over, older than 20 to 30 years like up to 100 years and then older than 100 years is an antique okay. and so like I say pre-loved a lot that's why my show is called pre-loved because for me There's something about just embracing anything that's secondhand, whether Mm -hmm. it's swapped with a friend or whether it's from a thrift store or whether it's vintage or what, you know, like there's so many different ways that secondhand stuff can come into our lives. I'm not like particular about it being vintage or being like of a Mm -hmm. certain age, but you will find, I mean, really rare stuff, or really valuable stuff. You will find vintage pieces that are more expensive but then you'll also find like some incredible bargains. Yeah, yeah they just, don't know what they had exactly yeah. yeah exactly you know designer stuff that people didn't know what they had are also just like extremely high quality pieces that are just old mm-hmm. and clothes used to be made
0: better so where do you see I'm gonna ask the last question uh For today, we're so happy to have had you on. But where do you see your pre-love podcast in the next five years? Ooh, fun
2: question. For me, so something that's been really exciting within the last couple of years. Like I've been doing pre-love podcasts, you know, from my spare bedroom here in Iowa for throughout the whole pandemic, you Mm -hmm. know? And so for me, something that's been really exciting over the last couple of years has been getting to travel and go to vintage markets and tell the stories of people who are. Do you know selling vintage, and everybody has such interesting stories, and so for me, I would love to continue to travel the world and tell the story of vintage and secondhand in a bunch of different communities.
0: That's exciting, nice. and now you have seriously like sparked. I'm going to take that 90-day challenge. I am so excited.
1: I will hold you accountable. This yeah, Again, you,
0: you will. <laughs> but thank you so much. And I really hope that everyone listening will, you know, get encouraged to shop vintage and secondhand and shop their own closet before buying new. So yes, Exactly. I Thanks appreciate so much everything. for having me. Thanks so much to our guest Emily Stokel for coming onto the show. You can find the Pre-Love podcast on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Hey, and if you love this show, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also visit our blog nubo.co blog to find key takeaways summarized and detailed.
0: This podcast is produced and distributed by Upload Media Group in Cedar Rapids. For more information, go to UploadMediaGroup.com.
1: And finally, we would love it if you would consider a donation to NuboCo. Your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit Nubo.co slash donate. We appreciate you for listening.
0: Bye, guys. Did you hear my phone going off? My mom kept asking me if I wanted veggie chicken nuggets like three times. Yes, (laughs) Yes. but I was like, Carrie.
1: (laughs) Is she making these from scratch?
0: No, they're just frozen. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Emily. My mom's been asking if I want chicken nuggets for the past 10 minutes. Okay. I recorded all that. I'm
1: going to use that as the outro. That would be good, though. That
0: would be awesome.